Alrighty, guys. Welcome to the show. Uh, welcome to Brolosophy. Today's podcast is supported by our sponsors, and our sponsors are Yeti, True Protein, and Athena. Yeti, guys, is basically an outdoor cooler company who have the best soft tanks in the business, soft coolers that is, 100% leak-proof, ice for days. They've got the legendary Tundra cooler and their hard coolers range. They've got heavy-duty ramblers. I've got all types of accessories, tanks for outdoor parties. Basically, guys, if you want anything to do with outdoor outdoor cooler equipment and uh, ultra durable buckets for your uh, for your for your parties and for your um, oh geez, I'm not doing this one uh, this read too well, but basically, Yeti are an amazing brand, and we're really happy to have partnered with them. Um, and if you want to check out their range, you can do so at yeti.com.au forward slash bro that's yeti.com.au forward slash bro uh, also guys you can also check out our sponsor that is true protein so true protein are a supplement company based in australia servicing australia and new zealand um, the countries of australia and new zealand and they're bloody unreal They've got all sorts of protein powders, whey protein, vegan protein, weight loss protein, night protein, elite protein, collagen protein. What on earth is collagen protein? So they've got everything that you can really want though, guys. They've got all sorts of health foods, um, protein bars, mug cakes, pancakes, chocolate, bits and pieces, superfood powders, and it's all healthy for you and it's all the best quality. So we're absolutely stoked to uh, be partnered with True Protein. So... If you want to uh, check them out, head to trueprotein.com.au and use the code BRO for 10% off at checkout. Also, this show is brought to you by Athena. So what we do at Athena, guys, is we take super talented freelancers from all over the world and we plug them into our clients' businesses. So effectively, um, people say we're talking a, a say we're talking a small small business in Australia, so small business in Australia or, or New Zealand or the United States, wherever we are, say you're a small business in Australia and you're really just trying to get off the ground and you want some help in your team but you can't really pay $50,000, $70,000 per annum for an employee, you can find uh, a great employee through us for a quarter of that price. So, um, And what you're able to do is you're able to support someone in, a, in an economy that's not doing as well. So we recruit from Argentina, Peru, Colombia, Venezuela, the Philippines, Sri Lanka. We have some amazing recruiting areas and, and a lot of the people over there aren't doing so well. The economies are trash compared to probably most people listening in this to this podcast. You know, you're probably in Australia, New Zealand, the UK, the US. We're a lot luckier. Um, economically than a a lot of the countries that we recruit from so you're able to actually support an entrepreneur on that side of the world and we will help support you the entrepreneur wherever you are so um, if you want to check out our services then you can head to athena.co that is a-t-h-y-n-a athena with a y and at the inquiry box when you go to uh, make an inquiry just put the code bro and you'll be eligible for 20 free hours of virtual assistant services. Here's the show. Now, before we do this, let's go over the ground rules. Rule number one, no touching of the hair or face. And that's it. Yo. Discovery Roger, go for deploy. Well, we're into it, mate. Rolling start. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, right, cool. cool. So where did you come in from today? Um, today, I had a meeting this morning with uh, Audible. 
Oh, yeah. Because uh, they're, they're kind of coming to Australia with like a lot of audio content and stuff. Ooh. So I'm doing a new series for them. So I just had a meeting to kind of work out some of the details about the new project. And, then, uh, and that's about it. Yeah. Can you drop some hints on what the project is? Or uh, Not yet. Yeah. It's yeah. all NDA stuff. But yeah, yeah it's right. basically like they're doing a lot of scripted content now, cool. which is kind of cool. So, and, I, and I like doing that stuff. So I listen to a lot of their stri- scripted content, actually. Their free stuff. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. listen to... Um, they must have done the same thing in the UK, I guess, before so Australia. So UK, US, Australia. Like Australia is a slow market for everything yeah um it's weird like if you do even podcasting like podcasting is hu- huge around the world yeah and it's still like an up-and-coming thing in That's australia right. it's just uh do you know um uh, ronnie chang yeah yeah he's got this great line which he said in an interview recently and it really resonated with me he said australia is old people making content for old people yeah and i'm like yeah that's it that's why i can't stand 90 percent of the things that are made in this country (laughs) on on television or radio yeah oh that's great that audible are coming in and bringing in some um some fresh blood because i listen to um i listen to all the stephen fry stuff yeah exactly i listen to his um victorian stories of england and like oh there's some unreal and it's all free he's doing he's doing a new one which is a podcast series which is on the seven deadly sins oh yeah and how they relate to modern times yeah good yeah yeah. unreal i love Stephen fry yeah um yeah cool well sammy so um tell us a little bit about yourself though who is sammy shah like how would you how would you it's a big Um, question to start but (laughs) all right i guess comedian writer broadcaster um, yeah, I'm from Pakistan. I grew up over there. I was there till the age of 35. Mm-hmm. Um, I started doing comedy over there, um, and I was a journalist there as well. And then I moved to Australia in 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, and then since coming here, I've been doing comedy, um, and I've written uh, an autobiography, uh, a fantasy fiction novel, and a nonfiction kind of journalistic novel, mm-hmm. a book, sorry, and a tr- uh, nonfiction. And then also I worked at the ABC up until recently. I used to be the presenter of the breakfast show, mm-hmm. uh, co-presenter of that. And then um, and now I'm trying to figure out what to do next. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. cool. So, um, mate, living in Australia now, obviously for 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 a while, of course. But um, what was it like growing up in Pakistan? It must be very. Very different to growing up here, I would assume. I, I, I don't know what it's like growing up here. So, because yeah. I, I came here at the uh, ripe old age of 35. So, like, yeah. I, have, I don't have that kind of comparative experience. Yeah, yeah. My daughter's growing up here now. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, it's very different for her from what it, her life would have been like in Pakistan. Um, for me, it was, I don't know, like, it, it's that thing where you don't realize it's different because it's your life. Yeah, that's right. So, I know, like, I grew up with friends and hanging out and riding bikes and, mm-hmm. um, and doing all that stuff. But I also know that a part of it, which... You know, we Pakistanis take for granted, but when you tell us other people, they're like, what the fuck is, you know, like when I gave my my exams, you know, there was a, a riot outside or, or um, you know, there are terror attacks and that stuff was a part of your life and you kind of had that in and um, your parents wouldn't let you go ride a bike after a certain age because around that time. Is when these you know, political parties started having militant wings, and you'd find like bodies and gunny sacks in, in my neighborhood. And so, you know, that was a part of it, but it's also. You know, as a Pakistani, when you talk about it, other Pakistanis are like, what's the fucking big deal? Like, that's just like <laughs> yeah. our life. Whereas me, I'm like... Yeah, yeah, but for, for... Yeah, so, you know, like when... You've got no other reference point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, like, I know, like, when I'm in Australia, for example, like, one of the things that I'm always conscious of is, you know, we've got rapes and murders and, 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 and terror attacks and these things happen here. Mm-hmm. And it's scary, but you can list the ones that have happened, you know that have been in the newspaper and stuff yep. on two hands in yep. the last year. Yep. And that's amazing to me. Yeah. You know, like come from a city of 26 million people. Mm-hmm. You can't like, you can't keep track of the, of what's happening. Yeah, yeah. That's incredible. So, so as a kid growing up and, and even through your young adulthood before you came over to Australia, it was just more, was there like ever a sense of like anxiety towards what was going on when there were terror attacks happening? Like what's, or nah, is you it normalize so, it. It's, you, it really is. You completely really. normalize it. Like, Full you know, on. I remember one of my friends was getting married and then Benazir Bhutto was assassinated the day that he was supposed to get married. And so mm. there was riots across like Karachi, Lahore, Islamabad, all the major cities. And so he couldn't have his wedding. And so we just had the wedding in like the, inside the house in a small affair with like 12 people because, mm-hmm. you know, we had to cancel everything else. Mm-hmm. And we just laughed about it, you know, and <laughs> yeah. we're like, ah, you got fucked, you know, whatever. And that's, can I curse? I don't know. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah But sure. like, that's part of it, which is basically, um, you know, it's, uh, it, you incorporate all of that into your life. And yeah. so one of those ways is you just make fun of things. Yeah. So, you know, I used to do stand-up comedy shows in Pakistan and um, I used to always, maybe three years in a row, I had to postpone the shows because there was a massive terror attack like the day before. <laughs> In the same city, and it was like inappropriate. You're like, someone's taking the piss out of me here. 
But like it wasn't which, just which me. Terror of us, yeah. Which terrorists have I robbed the wrong yeah, way? Yeah, yeah. Well, many, unfortunately, <laughs> it turns out during the course of my career. But it was this thing where you know you just kind of um, you just kind of incorporate that into your life and you yeah, take you it for granted, mm. and and you can't complain about it because everyone else is living it as well. Yeah. And then you step out of it and go, "Fuck, that was crazy." <laughs> yeah. But also, you know, you still have that Pakistani side of you that's like, "Yeah, okay, get over it." You know. Yeah. And then, well, thick skin, I guess, T- toughen you up. Yeah, yeah, yeah really. for sure, for sure. Yeah. You know, it's that weird thing. I used to do a stand-up bit about um, immigrants are from third-world countries are important for a place like Australia because we know what to do when the shit goes down. Mm-hmm. Like, um, there was a, um, there, a good example of that is there was a bus in Brisbane a few years ago which uh, a crazy guy kind of walked around the bus and set it on fire. And there were people inside the bus, they got trapped inside the bus and everyone would have literally died on that bus. Mm-hmm. Be- but there was a taxi driver going past and he was from, um, I think, Uganda or Malawi or someplace. And he knew what to do, which is he got out, he kicked in the emergency door, got all the people off the bus. And I was like, that's, guy, that's a guy from third world country. Really? He's been in this situation. He knows what to do. You reckon the Australians wish would have sat there and just... Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. <laughs> Too hard. Totally. I don't like, know what to do. Do we get and off this thing or well, do we, what do we do? Well, I mean, it's that thing of like, you know, when, when a bomb goes off, like, you don't know what to do. But nah. like, I've been enough to those situations where I know what to do. You're I like, guys, oh, relax. Yeah. This so, is, I know how to do this. And that, and that's, that's a fascinating um, It's It's like, it's, it's why so many, um, it's why you're worried about like Aussies dying when something bad happens. Because like, if you, if I turn around and I tell an Australian person, particularly a white person, I'm like, duck. They'd be like, why? And I'm like, well, now you're dead. The fucking <laughs> bullet just hit you. You know, like, just, when I say yeah. duck, duck, like, it's just, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm used to saying it really seriously, guys. Yeah. Like when I say duck, I really fucking yeah, mean yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I say duck, and apropos of nothing, just duck. <laughs> yeah. Don't fucking, just take my word for it. Yeah. I'm saying it for, yeah. <laughs> so there's this really um, funny particular moment for me, which was there's a another comedian, Ivan Aristogeta. He's from Venezuela. Mm-hmm. I'm from Pakistan. So like both shitty third world countries. And um, we were with a bunch of comedians um, Aussie comedians and we we're all like standing outside a bar and we we're all talking and laughing or whatever and there's like a group of just bros kind of coming up just mm-hmm. like ripped huge dudes mm-hmm. who clearly like just fucking been drinking all evening yeah. they're looking really just wanted to punch someone yeah, or something yeah, yeah. even just punch that, a wall with you, that yeah and you can tell yeah. that kind of vibe is kind <laughs> yeah. of radiating off of them and and as they're walking up I noticed and Ivan noticed like none of the other guys had even clocked them yeah and Ivan and I had instinctively kind of put our backs up against the wall and yeah. been ready to just kind of like either fight or run yeah. kind of a thing. Yeah. But the other guys hadn't even noticed. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. nothing happened, but it's just those instincts. Are, yeah, are you reflex. have more. You're just more street smart. You have senses, yeah. senses yeah. around those things. It's just reflex. That's yeah. interesting. Um, so, so what brought you to Australia? What brought me to Australia? Um, my ex-wife had been here in 2006. We, uh, we'd gotten married in 2004. And then 2005 and 2006, she came here to do her master's program. Mm-hmm. And she was in Melbourne at Monash University. And then I used to come and visit every few months and spend time with her here. And um, she fell in love with Melbourne and I fell in love with Melbourne. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, we moved back to Pakistan. Um, after she graduated, she came back. And, and we were fine. We were kind of living a life in Pakistan. But, like, things in Pakistan were going bad. Mm-hmm. 2008 onwards, there were massive terror attacks, and like the, yeah. pri- the, the president of Pakistan, Pervez Musharraf, who was a dictator, got kind of overthrown by the democratic governments, and mm-hmm. everything kind of started breaking bad. And we started thinking maybe we should move abroad. Like yeah. in Pakistan, it's a common thing, it's called the brain drain, which is um, a lot of people with, with means and with education kind of leave living, the country. Yeah. Same thing as what's happening in Venezuela. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's why, why the country had no power for about four days because all the engineers are All there. the engineers are gone, yeah. exactly. And so uh, Pakistan, you know, we've been having it for a long time and we were part of the brain drain where we were just like, yeah. let's, you know, let's get out, let's leave. Yeah, you have options. I, for me, it was a thing of like, I was fine staying there. I had a great career, I had a great yeah. job, I was yeah. happy there. Um, for her less so, obviously being a woman. Um, and then when I had my daughter in 2009, we were like, I, don't, I, I had the realization, my wife also as well, we don't want her growing up here. Yeah. I want her growing up in a place which is more free for her, yeah. safer for her, which is yeah. you know, a developed nation. So we kind of looked around. America was in um, America's economy was in the toilet at the time, and also immigration to America was really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, Canada was really bad shape at the time as well. I had friends who were doctors who were driving taxis, so mm-hmm. I was like, I, I don't want to go there. Mm-hmm. England, same thing. This is like the economic downturn uh, at its worst. Mm-hmm. And Australia was doing well, and she'd been here. We knew it a little yeah. bit, so we we're like, yeah, fuck it, let's go to Australia. And yeah. so we applied. Um, it took a while, but yeah, we got here. So what's the process like as a Pakistani wanting to emigrate to Australia oh, like how many hoops do you have to jump through so Cause many because I, I have mates that are um, you know that are English 
Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. And, and they they come over here, and it's like it's a nightmare for them to try and oh, it's so easy for them. work over. Yeah, but I know, but yeah, but yeah, to yeah. them it's but to them it's not. Yeah, you know, yeah. but to you guys, I imagine it would be an oh. order of magnitude yeah, more yeah, difficult. Yeah. So, so the process the pro- took us three years. Yeah. yeah, um, and it's three years of paperwork and and qualifications and every aspect of your life Making you've got to really prove earn it. and really yeah so <laughs> yeah. like whenever like people are like oh immigrants are the economic migrants or like immigrants are just coming over here it's so easy i'm like it's not easy like, yeah, yeah. i have idea what you're talking about <laughs> yeah. it is fucking hard to get yeah. here every immigrant who got here earned the right mm-hmm. like you you really have to prove your worth and value mm-hmm. um so yeah it's not easy at all it literally mm-hmm. took us three years and it costs a lot of money and um and then once you get here, it's hard as well. Mm-hmm. You know, we got here on a on a particular visa, which is it's called the uh, regional state sponsored visa. Yeah. So we had to live for the first four years in a country town in WA. Four years. Yeah. So I spent yeah. my I spent from 2012 to 2016. Christ. I was in WA in a country town two hours from Perth called Northam. Full. Um, and that's yeah, that's what you did basically. Wow, yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Um, so okay, cool. So you already had a comedy career when you moved to Australia, yeah. correct? So, so skipping back um, and going back into your time in Pakistan, what was it like coming up? So, because I don't understand what Pakistan was like. You know, I've yeah, heard yeah, you yeah. talk about it a little bit, and I understand it was probably um, there wasn't as many opportunities. Maybe it's probably Australia, or, or there was with it coming into stand-up comedy over yeah, there. Well, the cool thing about Pakistan is because it's so big and it's so chaotic. There's like wild creative energy there, right? Right. And also because there's no systems in place for certain things, for certain new arts. Mm-hmm. So for example, stand-up comedy, like the American style of stand-up comedy, it's not like there's comedy clubs. It's mm-hmm. not like there's a thousand other comedians. Mm-hmm. So if you want to do comedy, it's not like you have to go to the comedy clubs and the mm-hmm. open mics and work mm-hmm. your way up to the festival. Yeah, you're like the guy. <laughs> well, also <laughs> you, walk you can in, do, You walk in at the top. Yeah, or you can just do however you want to do. So yeah, at the yeah. same time I started, like around the same time, a few other guys also gave it a try. Yep. They just... Did what I did. You book an auditorium, mm-hmm. you sell tickets, you hope people will come, and then they come, and then you do a show. So my first ever show was a one-hour live show <laughs> in front of 200 people. <laughs> the only really? difference between me and the other guys were the other guys didn't bother prepping. Yeah. They just got up and thought they'd be funny, yeah. but it doesn't work like that. And Because I'm obsessive, like I studied it for like a year and a half before that, and mm-hmm. I spent a year writing and, and everything. So when I got up on stage for the first time, I knew I had an hour of material <laughs> Which That's I'd wild. kind of structured and everything, and it worked. But, you know, you if you did that here, it would be crazy. Yeah. People are like, yeah, it doesn't work. No one would let you on stage yeah, for an exactly. hour here, really. But, you know, you just do it there. And, and also, cost of entry into things is cheaper. It was back then, at mm-hmm. least. You know, you book the auditorium. It's not that expensive. Mm-hmm. you got the printers, you know, put, make posters and everything. You put them around. That's it's not, not expensive. Risk, yeah. All my friends were working in media, so you know they all had great quality cameras and everything. Mm-hmm. And you just kind of put a camera in the back and you record the audio and stuff. And then it's free, or you get your friend's dinner or something. Over here, everyone charges like $5,000 and you get an average videotape out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's that. So there is a freedom there. You can mm-hmm. kind of do what you want to do. If your idea is sound enough and if you have the energy, you can kind of get away with a lot. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of creative, cool stuff that comes out of Pakistan, which you would be surprised by. Yeah, right. Um, like the music scene in Pakistan is unbelievable. You really? know, any genre you can think of, it's all happening. Full it's on. all cutting edge. It's all amazing. Um, and and at the same time, when you come here, there's it's it, it's a little bit more. No, show me your credentials. Yeah. What's your proof? Of the, yeah. You know, things like that. So, more buying um, required. Yeah, so like right now, one of the things I'm doing is I'm, I'm, I'm getting work at universities in, mm-hmm. and, and as, a le- as a guest lecturer or visiting teacher, things like that. And everywhere it's like, yeah, but do you have a PhD? It's like, no, I don't because I spent the last 15 years working. Yeah. You know, I just didn't bother getting a PhD because I wanted to do the job. Yeah. And all the guys you have with PhDs haven't spent a day in the field. Yeah. So they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. It's like about. doing so, a master's of entrepreneurship and yeah. never starting a business kind of thing. So it's that kind of stuff. Like in yeah. Pakistan, you just do it. Yeah. You know, and you learn on the job. And that's why, uh, you know, most Pakistanis and Indians and stuff, people from third world countries, we're quick learners. Yeah. We just have to be. I uh, I think that would have been, I, I'm actually quite interested in stand-up comedy. I I spent a lot of time listening to um, all different podcasts from all around the world, Pommy comedians and, and Australian and American comedians. Um, I think it's a fantastic art. And like I said, my, um, Comedy Festival is my favorite time yeah, in yeah. Melbourne. So good. Um, but <clears throat> I feel like coming up in that scenario, you would have been kind of fast-tracked, really. Wouldn't yeah. you? Because like, I, I feel like everything's about reps. So I've been... I started surfing again after not surfing for about six years. Um, and I got a new board and so forth. And I've been going to um, 
the man-made wave at the okay. Tullamarine. Have you yeah, seen yeah. it? And I haven't been there yet. But yeah, but you it, know yeah. of it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's unbelievable. Okay. And that's just like in an hour, you get the same amount of stand-up time as you would in a three-hour surf on of one of course. the beaches yeah. on a good day. Yeah. You know, and it's just reps. It's just, it's like practice kind of. It's the Malcolm Gladwell thing, right? You yeah. Do something 10,000 times. Yeah. I'm good at it. The problem was, so like I could do a lot of stand-up in Pakistan, but... And I could do an hour show each time. Yeah. But the problem was I had to book it myself. I had to organize it myself. Yeah. You couldn't just, like, over here I can drop into a club. Yeah. Or I can do, like, three, four different clubs in a week and, yeah. you know, things like that. Um, so I would end up doing, like, an hour show, but I do one every two, three months. Gotcha. And that was the problem. So yeah. one of the things I started doing was, because I knew, I knew that. I knew it needed more stage time. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, I, I, I sent an email. I remember this was, like, 2005, 2006 probably. I sent an email to Patton Oswalt, mm-hmm. the comedian, mm-hmm. um, through his website. And this is back when he was obviously replying to emails. <laughs> yeah. And he wrote, and I was like, you know, how do you become a comedian? And he wrote back and he's like, just stage time. Yeah. There's no such thing as bad stage time. Just always get stage time. Yeah. So I had no choice. So what <laughs> I did was I joined this thing called Second Life. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know about it. It's like an online virtual world, like like an MMORPG. Yeah, I know it. Actually, without yeah. the game part. I do. I right? do know it. Yeah. Yeah, it used to be huge. Oh, I know like, of it. Yeah. It, it was really big in the mid two thousands, and then it kind of died down. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, for a while, they're like Reuters and CNN. And everyone had bureaus in Second Life, and it was crazy. But basically, you log in. You got an avatar. There's hundreds of thousands of other people and there's an in-world currency that actually mm-hmm. translates into U- original like so one US dollar was equal to like 200 and something Linden dollars which is the what? in-world currency crazy thing I started doing stand-up there so you can use sound back then it was like a big innovation so I got a headset with a microphone like much like this one and I used to wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning on weekends because um, that was the time when Americans were logging in, in yep. their night time yeah and I would do stand-up comedy in a virtual stand-up comedy club um, to audiences who would then respond with laughter and stuff. And then what? they used to, yeah. And I and I literally I did that for like two three years. It's um, <laughs> the wildest concept I've ever heard. And it made me a better comedian. Whoa! So when I like I basically got you know a kind of weird sort of um, virtual experience oh, of being a stand-up comedian. So when I finally came to Australia in 2012 was the first time I ever actually performed in a real live comedy club. Uh, Shapiro's in Perth. Um, I went there and I was like, oh my God, it's an actual comedy club. Like I've never fucking been inside one. But I'd had enough stage time at that point to actually be able to hold my own as a comedian. Well, yeah. that's actually the wildest story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially, uh, was, so this would have been 15 more, something like 15 years ago, was uh, it? Yeah, 14, 14, 15 Really? Years Far out. Because yeah. you don't really think about augmented reality, virtual reality, whatever, 15 years yeah, ago being yeah. that. that Because I actually watched the Black Mirror episode last night, um, the, the the latest release on the fifth series, and it's a virtual reality. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's about these two best mates. That, oh, yeah, and then they end up hooking up. Yeah, yeah. I was, yeah. Just, I was sitting there like, oh, fuck, this is real. Yeah. I wonder what I would do in this. But, this the, but we used to, basically, it, 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 it was really immersive. You know, obviously, it's not VR goggles and stuff. You're yeah. still playing on a screen. I had my Mac laptop, and I used to be playing on that and logging in, yeah. and... But I made friends in there. So in Afterlife, yeah. so if I'm... so if I'm Second Life, yeah. Second Life, sorry. So you're the comedian. If I'm playing Afterlife, so I, so I understand the game and how it actually works logistically. So I'm like, okay, cool. I'm playing the game. Oh, I can walk into a comedy club. Oh, yeah, cool. There's a comedian. Well, oh, so I the sit thing down. was there's no game aspect to it. So Second yeah. Life was no game at all. It was right? just a it's Second just Life. It's just a world. Oh, yeah, What right. they did was they basically made a bunch of continents... And you could buy a parcel of land and you could do whatever the fuck you wanted. So what it ended up being was a lot of people having weird, kinky, fucking virtual reality sex. But also <laughs> writers and artists and stuff started making cool shit. Like really? virtual galleries and things. And you Whoa, could roam around man. like touring. Someone had made a post-apocalyptic Mad Max kind of world. Yep. Really detailed. And, you know, to be a part of that world, you had to commit to the theme as well. So, like, I did a comedy show there once where, like, I was dressed as, like, a full Mad Max. My avatar was just like that. And, and, you know, all the audience was that. One was, you know, someone had made an under- underwater world which was in, a, in an abandoned submarine. So, mm-hmm. I did a show there to, like, an audience of, like, fish and mer people. <laughs> and, and you incorporate that. Into, like, but that was, like... Poseidon. Yeah, 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 yeah. was loving it. <laughs> but that was, like, the weird... W- things that I did to get stage time, basically. So, I'll, we'll, we'll move on from this one yeah. thing, but, but were you charging in, this, in the so currency? So, no, what would happen is the way Second Life works is you can charge, people sell things and stuff as well, yeah. but um, I would do a donation bucket. Oh, yeah. 
and uh, you know at the end of the show um and myself and they, they ended up being like few comedians like you know we from around the world we'd all kind of do comedy together and um i did a donation bucket and you people would donate money a uh, linden dollars in yeah. currency and i ended up making by the end of it like i'd make like 100 us dollars a night really yeah it was crazy <laughs> like i fucking like was made, it was not jesus yeah, oh yeah. my god yeah fuck that was 15 years ago too yeah yeah wow the world's going to be so weird in another 15 years oh you know, yeah yeah that's the, right the and like but that's to. the cool thing is you'd never know like everyone goes oh virtual reality right or whatever the next development in online thing mm-hmm. is you don't know what people will use it for mm. people find like no one would have thought second life would be a, a fucking lifeline for a comedian in Pakistan but it turned out to be so you know yeah that's interesting so uh when you talked about um you coming up and you needed more stage time and you, your mates and you started um with doing the one hour show but you said that they didn't prepare and you said that you did because you're very yeah, diligent yeah, yeah. you're very perfectionist um so on and so forth so what does the actual process look like for you because i know that um i know bugger all yeah. but i do know that there's a lot of different processes like i've heard lots yeah, of yeah mine's pod- changed yeah. so i used to be a guy who'd write everything down because yep. i i didn't have stage time right so i needed yep. to make sure when i went up on stage every word was locked in yeah so i would sit over like a year and write out a whole hour show so i'd think mm-hmm. of a topic and then i'd sit down and i'd beat up the topic from different angles and kind of come up with what's funny and all you have is your own instinct to go on yeah. and go like okay i think that's funny um and then i would literally write down every beat every pause every act out every word mm-hmm. so at the before the show would start i would literally have like 35 pages of script mm-hmm. that i would have memorized well wow. um but now um oh, after i moved to australia aside getting stage time aside kind of playing with the idea of like what if i get up on stage with nothing mm-hmm. so in perth i used to do that a lot i'd just get up on stage and i'd be like let's see what i want to talk about and mm-hmm. f- and figure it out and and it was fun it was freeing mm-hmm. and so now i've gotten the point where my process is basically if you go to my phone there's like a notepad file yeah. and that says uh, new stand up and it's just like paragraphs or two three lines here or there mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. you know and it's just different topics yeah concepts and concepts larger, larger and then i'll get up on stage and then i'll riff about them okay. and then if i do it like four times or three times that riff becomes a complete coherent bit yep. which i will then have memorized yep. and so it's got a beginning middle and end and a punchline and all of that stuff and and um and so that's now my process so i don't really write down anything anymore i kind of just have the whole show forming over the course of a year yeah cool so would you say that you, is it like you were more of a joke teller at the start and now you're more of a storyteller is that like um or, or i think yeah yeah definitely i so at the start i was more very influenced by seinfeld and those and yep. like observational comedy yeah. so it was very observational i was actually thinking about that very recently like i want to go back to doing that kind of thing because mm-hmm. it ended up becoming more about things that are happening in my life mm-hmm. and my reaction to the world around me but there's no observations about things mm-hmm. um you know like about mundane stuff and and i feel like i'm kind of missing doing that now so um i want to kind of go back towards that a bit gary gulman um the comedian he's been doing a whole thing online where on twitter where he would every day all of last year he would tweet out advice for comedians mm-hmm. on how to do comedy better and one of the things was revisit old stuff you never yeah. know what you'll find and so i went back and i was like yeah some of this stuff is still good like it holds up now I don't have the process of writing it anymore. I don't remember mm-hmm. how I wrote that, so mm-hmm. I want to figure that out again. Yeah. yeah. So you kind of reverse engineering yeah, uh, and yeah, going exactly. through your old stuff with the skill set that you have now yeah, and, and seeing how it lands. I'm wondering whether it's even possible, whether yeah. like that muscle is even there, whether the, the brain has completely reconfigured itself now. So mm-hmm. who knows? Yeah. So and you did a lot of um a lot of <clears throat> I'm not sure to this day and age if you're still you're a journalist by yeah. trade as well yeah, yeah. In, pa- in Pakistan, right? So um I'm really fascinated by like um I think comedy for comedy's sake is awesome. So many ridiculous comedians that yeah. stand up and tell dick jokes and whatever and and the most obscene and and crazy and wild concepts. That's great. There's definitely a place for that, but I feel like your comedy and I haven't watched a super duper amount yeah. of your comedy, but I've listened to you talk a lot and and on other podcasts in preparation more so than watching your comedy. But how much of your comedy is kind of political and cultural satire? Um, I think now your, most of it. Yeah. And that's the problem I'm having <clears throat> in that I kind of went that way particularly after moving to Melbourne. Yeah. Um when I was in Perth, yeah, like, I can take the piss out of this joint. Yeah. I can take the piss out of this joint pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but it, it, mainly I think in Melbourne it became a thing of um in it, I find that over here there's a discomfort in talking about certain things particularly mm-hmm. race related things mm-hmm. no one likes comedy about race over here or they in Melbourne they they get very precious about it. 
because they don't want to run the risk of being accused of racism, yep. even though it's very prevalent in Melbourne. Like, mm-hmm. the woke left in Melbourne is fucking racist. Mm-hmm. They're very racist. They mm-hmm. just don't like admitting it. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or having it thrown up to them. And I kind of enjoy that. Mm-hmm. I, fi- I find enjoyment in other people's discomfort, mm. unfortunately. It's a comedian thing. Um, so the woke left, I just want to um, t- yeah. touch on that. So um, I find I get really frustrated by um, the woke left, as you mm-hmm. put it, by them finding racism okay. in the smallest things. You know what I mean? So like like seeing, seeing a certain... Um, seeing a certain Scenario on being this person's this person's right and heaping all the pressure on them because I yeah, feel yeah, yeah. like that perpetrate that's well. Th- so th- I think what it is is there's a few things. One is in Australia there's racism in everything. Yeah. Right. And I don't know why Australians have so much trouble like accepting that. Like it's not a terrible thing. Of yeah. course it's a terrible thing. Yeah. Other countries have their own terrible things. Mm-hmm. Every country has its own terrible thing. In Pakistan, it was religion and extremism. Yep. And in America, it's the fucking guns and all mm-hmm. of that stuff. And their version of racism in Australia, it is also a kind of racism, right? Mm-hmm. That's native to Australia. Mm-hmm. It's part of our flora and fauna. Um, pointing it out is always a thing where I find... I think the reason why people find it uncomfortable is... And, uh, by people, I'm basically white people. So mm-hmm. I think white people are not used to the concept of being called racist mm-hmm. because up until now there wasn't the power dynamic in minorities to call them racist. You mm-hmm. know, if you were a brown girl or an Asian girl or something, you had to keep quiet. Mm-hmm. Now all of a sudden social media, we kind of fool ourselves into thinking it's an even platform. So if, you know, if I turn around and say to someone, to, a, to an old white guy, I'm like, hey, you're racist. Mm-hmm. He's like, no one's ever called me that. How dare you call me that? And I'm clearly not racist because I don't think I'm racist. Mm-hmm. But also... As a white person, you don't ha- you're not equipped to know what racism mm-hmm. is. So as a man, I'm not equipped to know what's misogyny because I don't suffer it. Yeah. I inflict it, yeah. I don't suffer it. Yeah. So if a woman tells me I'm being misogynist, I have to take that on because yeah. she's more qualified. Yeah, that's it's right. Literally, it's literally, like, it's, like, it's like a PhD. She's got a PhD in misogyny. Yeah. I'm not even bachelor's level. Yeah, right? yeah. You've probably never hardly thought about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. To be, to be fair. And, and yeah, and there's all kinds of stuff which like these days I'm like, ah, oh, I didn't realize I did that. Holy yeah. shit, I didn't yeah. like that. So I think what happens is if you start with the base assumption that not some white people are racist, but all white people are racist. <laughs> yeah. And racism isn't just calling a guy the N-word. Mm-hmm. It's in lots of different ways. Mm-hmm. Then you can actually have a really evolved conversation. You can mm-hmm. go like, all right, fine. Let's say I am racist. What's the next step? Mm-hmm. But right now, we're still at the point where someone goes, hey, you're racist. They're like, no, I'm not. You're like, all right, fuck you. You are racist. And yeah. they're like, no, I'm fucking not. Like, and the conversation becomes that. So yeah. I think it's basically an um, a intellectual refusal to um, engage with the potential or the possibility of racism because you're worried that, what does it say about me? Mm. Except, you know, you, if you accept that yeah, everyone is, then you don't have to be as worried about what it says about you. You can actually focus on, all right, so then what does that mean? You know? Yeah, that's interesting because uh, <clears throat> I was just trying to put myself in, like, so I think I'm inherently somewhat racist and I'll tell you why. Yeah. I you grew up as a white guy in Australia. Yeah, that's right. And and if I'm walking down a dark alleyway, yeah, and there's so, say two different scenarios, you know, same exact night, same exact build up, and I'm walking down a dark alleyway in scenario A, and I see three hooded Caucasian, yeah, yeah, yeah. Caucasian gentlemen, and I'm walking in scenario B, and I see three hooded black guys, black yeah. guys, <clears throat> I for sure go, oh fuck. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And that's not... I don't feel... Which is funny because... I don't feel bad about it because it's yeah. ingrained in me. I, I'm not consciously yeah. like, I'm trying to be racist by feeling... Yeah, but yeah. I know that my upbringing has yeah. led me to feel because like statistically, that. Because statistically, the three hooded white guys are more likely to beat you up and take your money. Yeah, in right. Australia, just yeah, given exactly. the numbers. Yeah right. Right? yeah, yeah, right. So there's that aspect. Fucking white blokes. <laughs> yeah, but, but I mean, like, it's that thing of like, I'm more scared of like... I used to get into at the ABC. I'd get into this fight all the time. The police would identify. We do the police check in um, when I did the breakfast show with the police overnight, and they would say, "Okay, this has happened. This has happened. This happened." And whenever it was someone of a Middle Eastern exper- uh, appearance or or an African uh, appearance, they would say that. Yeah. When it wasn't, when it was a white person, they wouldn't say anything. Yeah. Right. So they would go, and we're looking for three suspects, three adult males. Yeah. And so I started asking. I'm like. With of European appearance. 
Yeah. And everyone was like, what the fuck does that mean? Mm-hmm. I'm like, it's as vague as fucking African appearance and Middle Eastern appearance. Yeah, it's like right. it's European appearance. But like when I walk down the street and I see three or four white guys walking towards me, I'm more likely to be beaten up by them by, than by yeah. the brown or black guys. So yeah. there is like a, a but the, the inability <laughs> to kind of accept that and then go, what does that say about me? All right, fine. Are there other aspects of myself that also point to my behavior as racist? And I think it's just basically the realization that like, yeah, everyone is just, you just, once you accept that, it's a lot easier to move forward than if only six people, if only Pauline Hansen is racist and someone calls me racist, am I like Pauline Hansen? Then you're like, no, I'm not. So then you get angry. You know, that's that's it. Because you're like, that guy's fucking calling me Pauline Hansen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I think being conscious of, you, you know, your faults and your inherent biases but yeah, yeah yeah it's it's, it's, it's healthy yeah really yeah. i mean and as i said like i don't pati- i don't feel bad about that scenario that i said it's just it is i grew up yeah you know caucasian family my dad is kind of like mm, he's the left would hate my dad the politically but that's, correct that's you know, australia like, right so yeah. right now australia is literally being ruined by dads and nans <laughs> the yeah. two focus groups that are destroying this country are dads, <laughs> dads and nans, and nans. Yeah. because nans vote for one nation and dads vote for the liberal party and they're yeah. fucking this country up you know <laughs> yeah. and so, that, yeah so <clears throat> as talking about like um the role of i guess political satire um i feel like in today's in the culture that we live in where you can't say you can't you can't say a lot of things in whether it's on Twitter, Facebook, whether it's on a podcast, people are scared to to, to, okay, to so have conversations. I think I think that's a myth. Yeah. I think okay, cuz I I live in Australia, man. I I did breakfast radio. I saw the text messages that used to come in every day mm-hmm. when I was on air. There's nothing you can't say in Australia. I lived in WA for four years. Mm-hmm. I heard everything. Mm-hmm. I heard the N-word more casually than Mississippi burning. You know, like it's, <laughs> like, it's right. fucking... You, it, there is nothing you cannot say in Australia. Every, okay. Everyone who says you can't say anything about women in Australia, ask any woman in Australia and she's been called the worst shit yesterday. Yeah. You know, and ask anyone... Like everyone is still saying, our politicians, literally David Linehelm, Slut shamed, yeah. a Greens politician, yeah, in Parliament. Tony Abbott, the most misogynistic bloke you've yeah, ever seen. Yeah, openly. Women, women. What, I don't know what he said. He said something he did, about yeah, recently. He goes, middle class women should have more babies. Yeah, and poor people should have less babies, <laughs> and also less immigrants should come here because they're poor. Yeah. So basically, he's saying no brown babies. What about uh, he babies. said once? Uh, he said when he was in uh, when he was in power. I remember him saying um, something, something, something. Yeah. There's a few women here. Geez, they should probably get back to the kitchen. Yeah. And I was like, fucking what? Dude, at one point, he said that. He, he said um, uh, women and their ironing. He even yeah, said his daughters are hot and he yeah. would root them. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. He was a fucking prime minister. He's an idiot. But, but also, yeah. he'd probably come back into mm. parliament soon as well. Yeah. The thing of like, okay, people get cancelled. Yes, it's happening online. And it is yeah. a fucking unfortunate phenomenon as well yeah. it's an overcorrection it's very clumsily done but also it's actually not that effective because mm-hmm. if you look at everyone who's being cancelled they're largely back mm-hmm. other than Bill Cosby and Harvey Weinstein who literally committed like crimes, crimes. Yeah. Um, you know even Louis C.K. is performing again mm-hmm. like uh, Aziz Ansari had a, had a Netflix special like yeah. no one's being cancelled in Australia particularly no one's been Yasmin Abdul Majid was cancelled more effectively mm-hmm. than anyone on the right has ever been cancelled. Yeah, um, it's just no, it's fair just, enough. It's that, an overreaction, I think. Yeah, you know that's that's fair enough and very good answer. But um, I guess um, what I'm trying to say is like, how do you <clears throat> when you're a political satirist? Oh, there's a lot yeah, of yeah, fucked yeah. up stuff in our in our yeah. culture, our society. It's 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 we're doing it so wrong. I feel like, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. but it's nobody's fault a yeah. lot of the time. It's just it's where we are. People figuring it out. But but it's I messy. mean, yeah, that's yeah. right. But there's so many people. You know, I think when I'm down, like run down and down as in like a little bit anxious, a little bit depressed, a little bit, you know, whatever, I think too deeply about the state of the world that we live in. Yeah. So I often think, fucking hell, I wish I was ignorant as fuck. I just woke up every day, went and laid bricks, came home, drank a few beers, went to sleep, whatever, and didn't think about any of this stuff. So, but there's a large portion of the society that is doing that. And that's cool. And I'm happy for, you know... Ignorance is bliss and happy for them to do, do their thing. But I think comedy does a great job of infiltrating other people's yes. worlds and going, hey, 
have you thought about this? Yeah. You know, like political, like George Carlin is one of the most famous. Ricky Gervais yeah, now, yeah. and what? Do you, what? In, well, all of so Ricky Gervais. So one of the things that like, I used to go through when W I talk about I talk about refugees and asylum seekers. Yeah. Right. Um, and it was, for me, it was always a personal issue where I was like, I got in on a work visa, but it was just a matter of timing because the death threats were coming, and therefore, but for the grace of God, go I. Like when I look mm-hmm. at them, so it was always a thing where I was like, okay, obviously Australia's understanding of them, the treatment of them, every aspect of it is fucked. Mm-hmm. Um, how do I explain this to people that what you're doing is wrong for these yeah. reasons? Yeah. Because if I just get up on stage and I'm like, you're all fucking assholes, I'm not going to... No, right? you're, gonna have a, you're not going to have a livelihood and, so, you're not, and no one's going to hear yeah. it. But so I started just breaking things down. So I'd be like, okay, um, the guys who are coming here, these are the good guys, mm-hmm. right? The doctors, lawyers, teachers, and everything. Why would the bad guys come here? The bad guys have won in their countries. Mm. They've got the power now. They don't need to come here in Australia and be the underdogs. They're mm-hmm. the overdogs over mm-hmm. there. So you're getting the good guys. Like, don't worry about that, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, and I'd say that. I'd, I'd talk about um, education levels. And, like, all of these things in refugees and asylum seekers and the inherent, like, false logic in calling them economic migrants or saying they jumped the queue or some shit like that. Mm-hmm. And when I do it with comedy, what happened is in WA, as, where I was mostly performing at the time, I would find people would come up after the show and then a year later I'd revisit those towns and people would actually sign up for refugee rights groups because they go, oh, no one explained it to me that way. Yeah. And I realized it's because comedy infiltrates through surprise. Yeah. You go to watch a comedy show, as long as you're laughing, you're not thinking about what information is being downloaded into your brain. You're not going, this is right-wing propaganda bullshit that I don't listen to. This is left-wing fluff. You're just going, oh, fuck, I never thought about it yeah. like that. Yeah, and so as long as it's fine, and, and it's, if your whole show is that, then obviously that's not going to work either. Yeah. There's like all kinds of stuff in my show, but that was one of the segments, yeah. and peop- it affected people. It yeah. worked on people. Um, and I think that's the power of comedy, which is, it, because comedy relies on the same trick that horror does, right? Mm-hmm. Horror and comedy are flip sides of the same coin. They rely on surprise. Mm-hmm. You have to surprise someone for mm-hmm. it to work. Mm-hmm. And if you surprise someone, they're more likely to take on something because they hadn't thought of it that way. They'll mm-hmm. go, oh, that's pretty fucked. Yeah. You know, the, the it's like if you're surprised if you smash your leg into a fucking stool. You're like, you oh! remember and not you'll be like, fucking... that's fucking... You'll never yeah, forget that stool. Exactly. <laughs> so it's the same thing with comedy. And, and, and I've <clears throat> always found that the best way to sneaking information into people's lives and, and into their brains... And, if, and that's, why, that's why politicians hate comedians so much mm-hmm. that's why like the abc was always scared of comedy and is mm-hmm. still always scared of comedy they do mm-hmm. a shit job with it like um it's always like the safest nonsense you know mm-hmm. they um political politicians and from australia to pakistan hate satirists yeah because they know that satirists and comedians are more effective in belittling them than any serious oh, opinion totally economist totally you know agree. um after like you know after it's the perfect the, medium yeah, it really is. after the truth dies, the satire lives on. And mm-hmm. that's just it. Like, it, Peter, Peter Dutton will always be compared to Potato. Mm-hmm. It hasn't taken away from his power. He's yeah. not going to stop being Peter Dutton. He's still the Home Affairs Minister with the most amount of power. But also, you know it hurts him every time someone calls him a potato. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's literally the only power we've got right now. Yeah, yeah. Until, the, until the people in Peter Dutton's electorate somehow realize that he's not worth voting for, which it's fucking Queensland. It, the whole state should burn to pieces anyway. <laughs> but fucking ethnic cleanse the shit out of that place for me, in my opinion. Um, uh. the, yeah, you know, until then, that happens, um, yeah, he's going to have all the power. So call mm. him Potato Head. It's, mm. it's the least you can do. Mm. You know? So, yeah, no, nah, for sure. Um, so, did you... I, I was listening to um, one of your shows over the last couple of days, um, the... One that you did with um, the Chaser guys, maybe whatever, whatever that maybe. One was called. Maybe, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I forget what it was called. Just a podcast. Yeah, yeah, I remember. That's right. Yeah. Um, and you know, something that um, that stood out to me is <clears throat> your transition. I've, I've heard you talk about your transition from um, being a Muslim mm-hmm. growing up in Pakistan. Yeah. To you know being now you're yeah, yeah being yeah. an atheist now. So <clears throat> can you talk to me about? I'm really fascinated by religion. I think it's um it's a crazy concept. And I'm also fascinated by atheism because yeah. I would say myself that I'm agnostic. And I think devout religious people and devout atheists to me are equally insane. Yeah. But I'm keen to hear your, 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 okay. you know, your, yeah. your, your version of... Because atheism is a, it's yeah, a yeah. very... It's a scale and it's, you know, people have their reasons. But um, I, I'm kind of like, well, you know what? Pretty weird that we got here. I don't reckon there was a creator that was, you know, I don't reckon the earth's 4,000 years old and yeah, Adam yeah, and Eve yeah. so, and I don't believe in, you know, Muhammad and I don't believe in, but I don't know, you know, so that's okay. kind of where I sit. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But, but the transition for you 
Well, coming, coming through your childhood um, in Pakistan, how much did religion play a part? I feel like it would have been huge, yeah, right? Yeah, it's a massive part. It's like yeah. um, the best comparison I've found is um, um, I've spoken to a lot of friends who are Irish who yeah. grew up in Ireland up until the uh, Catholic Church's whole you know, child molestation scandal, which kind of mm-hmm. destroyed the credibility of the Catholic Church there. But when you were growing up in Ireland in the 80s and the 90s, it's just omnipresent. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a prayer time on TV. And it's the same thing in Pakistan. You know, like we, I had religious studies classes in school. I had, you know, a religious instructor come to my house every day and kind of teach me, the, oh, like two three times a week, teach me the Quran. And I had memorized portions of it. And, and it's just, and I wasn't in a conservative family. I was fairly moderate, like liberal re- religious family. But it's yeah. just, it's everywhere. It's yeah. in everything. It's yeah. omnipresent. And, and so... That's why, like, when people break away from it, the ones who are still in it find it so upsetting. Mm-hmm. Um, because it is literally like turning to someone and saying, you know what? Fuck oxygen. I don't yeah. believe in oxygen. <laughs> yeah. I'm a carbon dioxide yeah. person. Yeah. And, and, you know, they'll get like, what are you fucking crazy? <laughs> They're like, oxygen! Yeah, oxygen. exactly. And you're like, I, I, but, but also, you know, for them, that's their perspective. So mm. I can understand why. And then also there's a religious aspect of it, which is that Islam particularly is not gentle on people re- leaving the religion. It's, it's seen very much as like, if you're a nationalist, right, or a patriot, and someone is ter- turns out to be a traitor to your country, like they're selling nuclear <coughs> codes to Russia and your mm. America in the, during the Cold War, you'd be like, fucking hang that person. Yeah, yeah. Muslims see ex-Muslims the same way, as traitors to the country, you know? Know. So there's like a whole infidels. Yeah, basically, and and so you know, I, I I'm an apostate. You know, mm-hmm. it's what we're called, and and according to certain aspects of the Islamic belief, where a lot of acts of, uh, of Islamic belief, we're punishable by death. You know, yeah. like it's that we're the worst kind of human being, um, because we had the truth and we said fuck you to the truth. Yeah, like, yeah. Th- that's how they see it. But also at the same time, so like I find religion fascinating. Mm. For the same reasons that many people do, it's storytelling, mm-hmm. right? It's it, it's all religious belief to me is proof of human ingenuity, mm-hmm. right? The human, all from Hinduism to Buddhism to Islam to Christianity to to these small religions believed by tribes in Papua New Guinea to any any religion is beautiful. It's complex. Mm-hmm. It it's it's unique. Every religion believes it's the right one, which kind of tells you that none of them are right. Yeah, and, yeah. and and also the fact that humans <coughs> came up with this stuff, it's magnificent. I can't believe in any of them. Mm-hmm. Asking me to believe in a religion now. Is like asking me to believe in Bugs Bunny, you yeah. know, as the great creator. Like it's as logical. <laughs> yeah. Because once you actually kind of like go, once you literally play that one trick in your brain where you go, is this man-made? They're like, yeah, this is man-made. Like obviously no fucking divine creator came up mm-hmm. with this. Um, because it's full of inherent contradictions. It's not mm-hmm. even relevant to modern life. It's written 4,000 years ago, whatever, mm-hmm. 2,000 mm-hmm. years ago. And it's, you know, it, it's all of that stuff. Yeah. So that's how I came to kind of atheism from there. Um, I don't agree with the premise that the atheists are, are as extreme as, re- as religious people. I feel like they're as annoying. <laughs> and, yeah, an extreme yeah. atheist like Richard Dawkins <laughs> or someone is dead. Yeah. You know, Ricky Gervais, fucking annoying atheist. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. all right, we get it. You're an atheist. I, I like Ricky Gervais a lot. Like, I love him as Rick, a comedian. Rick, yeah, Rich, Richard Dawkins is too much for me. But, you know, it's that thing of like, okay, I get it, I get it. Yeah. But also at the same time, there aren't atheist countries other than maybe communist China at the height of you know the the the, the communist scare and, and and maybe part, and Soviet Russia during Lenin and Stalin. Um, there aren't countries now where the rules are literally if you stop believing in this, we will kill you. That way, the way there are many Muslim countries, mm-hmm. there aren't atheist mobs killing someone for not eat, for you know for eating kale yeah, no, the way there's right. like hindu mobs killing people for e- eating there's beef and there's so not. yeah so like there's, yeah, no, there's a definitely sure. there's a difference in terms of extreme extremity extreme versions of the reactions um i also fa- can't um, re- like get on board with agnosticism from a personal point of view because like i i you know i like science i'm a, I'm a yeah. science geek and, I, and and physics and astrophysics and all those things and and the universe isn't elegant there's all kinds of weird shit that doesn't yeah. make sense and it's it's clumsy and and part of it is is there and we still don't know whether it's a 4d holo- a 3d hologram in a 4d universe or the whole thing's a simulation or mm-hmm. you know all you know, mu- you know multiversal theory and all of these things kind of come together to create a fascinating thing Look, you know what we might find out where a battery in a higher beings vibrator we might yeah. find out that where all a video game that's being played, like Sims, we mm-hmm. might find out that, you know, there was literally a god who said gays are bad and also this is how red stars are, you know, yeah. red dwarves are made. We don't know. But the not knowing, to me, 
has yet to prove itself as anything other than an absence of a creator. Yeah. Um, and so, like, I have seen no reason to date to be agnostic. Yeah. I've only seen reasons to be atheist, basically. Yeah, I no, think fair, that's fair, it. fair yeah. enough. I, I always used to, um, I used to say that I was atheist. Yeah. Um, and then I interviewed um, an astrophysicist named Grant Lewis. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and I said, all right, Grant, I'm really excited for this because I've got one question I've never seen it asked. I yeah. actually, and since then, I kind of have a little bit, but I'm fascinated why people don't ask this question more. But, but I'm like, I buy into science. I love the idea of the Big Bang. And I want, in, in, you know, in layman's terms, in 60 seconds, yeah, give us yeah. the Big Bang. And he's like, okay, so 14 billion years ago, the universe was, you know, created. Condensed it was on the size point. of a pinhead. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and in 0.0000001 one second, the known universe was created. And I'm like, fuck, that's unbelievable. I said, what put that pinhead there? Yeah. You know, that, that question alone is why I lean towards yeah. agnosticism because the, the fact that, and I don't want to go into fucking yeah. the universe for, for but the, the fact that, but why does it have to be a conscious thing that put the pinhead? It doesn't have to be. It doesn't. It doesn't have to be. And you're absolutely right there. If it's a byproduct of an equation, kind of you know solving itself, yeah. like an algorithm just kind of running itself, which it through. could be. Yeah. But the fact that the I think to correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like to our our puny little monkey brains, yeah. The fact that okay, so if we go all the way back to the Big Bang, that's how the known universe is created. No worries. If we ask the question, what put that pinhead there? Then you can forever get caught in that loop of what yeah, put yeah. that there, what put that there. So the fact that the start, we can't, I don't believe anyone in their right mind can comprehend the start of everything because yeah. then you always say, what, what happened then before that? So there's a process that we don't understand. And I just think that I really, I, I like, I lean heavily, 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 heavily towards atheism. Yes. But I leave the, I, I, leave I, the door open. Yeah, that's All right. right. Yeah, that, yeah. That's kind of where, yeah. I, where I come from. But let, re- reversing back to something you said earlier. Yeah. <clears throat> so becoming an atheist and but you're born Pakistani, so your family, your fam- yeah. Like, what was so, that process like? I've I mean, basically, been... like they always knew I was. Uh, I went to religious phase. Child. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I went to religious phase, but also I was like, I was an annoying kid always. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I remember one point my mom literally saying, "Why can't you be normal?" Like, you know, that. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, Cheers, mom. Yeah. So I, I <laughs> Love don't. You too. I don't know. I have no idea why. But <laughs> yeah. like, you know, so there was that aspect to it. No one was surprised when I came out as an atheist. Yeah, my yeah. friends and my family, you know, everyone yeah, like, right. yeah, it makes sense with gotcha. him. Um, so that part, part of it is definitely there. Um, look, my immediate family, they just, you know, like parents, like it's um, in Pakistan, if you smoke, you don't smoke in front of your parents. Yeah. Your parents know you smoke. Yeah. You smoke. Yeah. But not in front of them because it's disrespectful yeah, to them. Right. It's the same with atheism. Mm-hmm. They know you're atheist. You know you're atheist, but you're not atheist in front of them, mm-hmm. and then they're fine. Mm-hmm. Like that's how. But I'm, I'm luckily I'm from a moderate family, so yeah. it's not a problem. Yeah. Um. There's many people from really conservative families who are genuinely being crushed to the point of suicide by the inability to be out about uh, their own atheism. Mm-hmm. Um. After I came out as an atheist, I've been like even uh, two days ago, someone contacted me with their own personal story. It's always someone in Pakistan or another Muslim country who is going what do I do? I yeah. can't go on like this. And, and yeah. there's obviously m- much more extreme circumstances than mine. But I've, I've got extended family that fully disowned me. Yeah. I've got aunts and uncles who said, you know, you change your name and stop associating with us. But, you know, fuck them. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, you know, if I'd come out as gay, it's they would have sh- had the same reaction. It's a if shame, I, isn't it, really? Yeah, but also, you know, I live in Australia. I don't give a fuck what my extended yeah. relatives in Pakistan <laughs> yeah, think. Yeah. It's that part of the thing as well, which is yeah. when, when you're a migrant, you lose your family. Yeah. But also when you're a migrant, you lose your family. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, that's interesting. It seems like you had a pretty good run of it then, really, considering yeah, like, yeah, considering yeah. it's punishable by death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, there is that aspect of it. Like, look, there are literally people who will never forgive me for this. Mm. And, and, if, and there are people who, if, you know, if I'm in Pakistan or something, you find out who I am or what, I, what I've said, they will kill me for it. And there's <laughs> nothing I can do about that. Okay, no. um, but, I, you know, fuck it. No, I no, know. I agree. Yeah. I agree, fuck it. And I, I had a very similar conversation with um, one of my buddies. <clears throat> he was closet gay. Yeah. And I was one of the only few people that knew about it. Um, and then... He was having a real tough time. We had a couple of conversations. He was like, why, why, I, I, why can't I just be normal? Um, and it was tearing him up inside. Yeah. And, and I said to him on a number of occasions, and it's not rocket science, I'm sure a number of people said it to me, but I was like, man, no one gives a fuck. Yeah. Like, I, I don't give a fuck. I'm as blokey of a bloke as you. I don't give yeah. a fuck if you want to fucking date a horse. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't give a fuck if bestiality is your thing. Like, yeah. you're my friend and it's your business. It's yeah. your life and whatever. Our relationship doesn't change. And, there are people that 
unfortunately, you know, that, well, there really aren't. With, with my mate, there really aren't people in his life that would say, fuck you yeah, for, yeah. for being gay. But in his head, it's a shame because, because in his head, he's programmed to be like, yeah, I'm yeah. not normal, this is bad, blah, blah, blah. Because but, kind of culture and society kind of shift was that way for so long. Yeah. You know, like there's a whole thing now, like in, in America, for example, one in four Muslims are no longer Muslim. They're atheists, you know. Yeah. But there's another aspect of it, which is, I'm not practicing. Obviously, I don't believe in any of it. But I like the cultural part of it will always be a, a part of my life. Like, yeah. So I will always, when I see something good happen, I'll say, mashallah, you know, yeah. God, you know, God yeah. bless this or yeah. whatever. It's like, it's, you know, atheists still say, God bless you or, or because yeah. it's just, it's a thing you say. And, yeah, that's right. Um, and, you know, I'll still, you know, I'll still believe in karma because I'm mm. still fucking superstitious because I <laughs> yeah. grew up with it shoved into my brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I will still like, and I'll still celebrate the Muslim holidays because yeah. I kind of like celebrating. You don't want to be a killjoy. You know? Exactly. So, you know, an atheist will still celebrate Christmas and a Muslim yeah. will still, uh, you know, ex-Muslim will celebrate Eid. So, I, all, I call myself a cultural Muslim because yeah. I feel like that's where I am. And I think yeah. that's a part of it as well. It's just, just give people the freedom to pick and choose who they want to be and how they want to represent themselves. Uh, but it turns out that's really hard for others. To, yeah, you know. for sure. And I think religion is a nice um, thing to bring people together. It's community, you know, and it's also yeah. belief and faith because yeah. one of the things that freaks people out most about life is the afterlife and yeah. thinking about death, you know? So, and having something that you go to after that is yeah, a very yeah, yeah. warm and, and welcoming feeling. So, I think religion has done a lot of things that are really great and still does to this day. Take out the, hey, let's have a war, let's kill you because of this, you're not allowed to do yeah, this yeah. and that. Take out those parts but of it, which you're not going to be able to. No, you know it's, what? It, you, it'd be you great. Will, you will. The way it works though is, <clears throat> so Christianity, for example, used to be like that. Mm. You know, like in the Middle Ages, for example, the, the Baptists were killing the Anabaptists yep. and the Protestants were killing the, the Catholics and all yep. violent. Yep. Like, you know, up until recently in Ireland as well. Like, it's been going on. Yeah. Gangs in New York. Yeah. Great documentary. But what happened <laughs> was um, people's life became easier. Mm -hmm. These nations with Christianity in them, because they also just happened to be nations that had access to colonialism and things like that, mm -hmm. they got wealth, they got privilege, and they got comfort. And so you had running electricity, mm. you know, you had, you had running water, you had electricity, you had yeah. food on every plate and, you know, the poverty levels are there but nowhere near there what they are in India or Africa or yeah. that. And so, when all of a sudden your basics are taken care of, then religion stops being such a fundamental need because you're not going, why the fuck is my life so miserable? Yeah. And then you'd go, well, I guess God must want it that way because that's the only way to justify it to yourself. Mm. Um, so I think like it, yeah, there's no isn't it? there's no like surprise that m almost all of the Muslim countries are also like developing nations. You know, mm. Saudi Arabia, Oman, like Qatar, these are really rich, but then the inequality in wealth is insane. Yeah, um, and the jump from poor to rich happened too quick. They haven't gotten to that point mm -hmm. where it's an intellectual jump as well. Mm -hmm. Give you know if Pakistan has a stable economy, has a non-corrupt government, has, um, you know, 40, 50 years of dem democracy with, um, you know, progressive economic growth, religion would be a, a, a forgotten yeah, thing. The way it is in Australia. Never, definitely yeah. never thought about yeah. it like that. Um, it's an economic need. I was brought up Catholic, and, you know, if a Protestant walked past me in the street, I'd be like, g'day, mate, how are you? Yeah, because you wouldn't <laughs> yeah, care, right? But, like, if I was Irish, yeah, that's right, 200 years ago, if I was, yeah. If I was Irish, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd be... Hitting him with a pick, pitchfork. Yeah, ball. exactly. And so and it's because you don't care anymore because you don't yeah. need to care anymore. Yeah. Because he's not fundamentally affecting your life in any way now. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, cool. So so you get back onto like um, kind of um, professional professional life stuff, your comedic, um, mm -hmm. comedic career and stuff. Um, so what does the future look like for you, Sammy? Like what's, what's firing you up about um, creating, creating content, creating you know, comedy? Like yeah, what's yeah. the future going to look like for Comedy, you? there's a comedy festival. So every year the comedy festival season hits and it's like Perth and Sydney and Melbourne and Brisbane. And mm -hmm. So you have to have a new hour ready. Yep. You know? So I'm, I'm in that process <laughs> right now and that's always a scary thing. Where it's, it's, a tough, uh, it's a tough creative process and you're always scared that you're fucking it up and you're being yep. bad and whatever. Um, and you're pushing yourself. So that's happening right now. So I'm, I'm writing the new show. It's called Nuptials. It's going to be at Melbourne, Sydney, Perth, and um, and and I'm scared about it, and I'm excited about yeah. it. And it's not ready yet. You Is know, that all normal? That's just kind of the process. 
every year you think, I don't know how to do this, and yeah. then it happens. Yeah. So that's just part of the process. Um, and then separate from that, yeah, I've got you know I've got a book I'm working on. I've got the, this Audible uh, show that I'm working on as well, and um, and I'm going to be teaching at RMIT and University of Melbourne this semester. So I've got different projects happening, which is how I'm happiest. Yeah. I like doing different things simultaneously. Yeah. So I'm never creatively bored. Yep. Um, what do you teach out of interest? Um, so at RMIT, I'm teaching writing. Yep. Um, and and University of Melbourne, I'm teaching journalism. Oh, cool. So yeah, it's just basically the two things that I love doing. Yep. Yeah. Unreal. All right. Well, um, Sammy, this has been a fascinating conversation. Thanks very much. Lo- yeah, lo- absolutely. Lo- yeah, loved it. Um, so people that want to know more about you mm-hmm. and what you've done, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of people that, that, that will that have listened. So where can people find you, find out more um, about you and your shows and so on and so forth? My website is thesamisha.com. So T-H-E-S-A-M-I-S-H-A-H. The reason it's that is because I lost samisha.com because I let my URL lapse for oh, no. one hour, <laughs> one hour, and someone swooped in and took it, and now oh. they're charging like twenty thousand dollars to get it back. So, oh, like, fuck it. so I went with people the, just suck sometimes, yeah. don't they? So they really do. Thesamisha.com is the website. Otherwise, I'm on Twitter um, as at samisha. I'm on Facebook um, at samisha.fans. Um, and Instagram is samisha.com so yeah just google my name and it comes up um, all the URLs and links and stuff and uh, yeah all my details are there for my upcoming shows and, and whatever new thing I'm working on mm-hmm. yeah. cool thanks Unreal. very much man mate Cheers. Sammy thanks for coming on thanks the show thanks for having me yeah, alright yeah. and that's a wrap alright guys if you enjoyed that show please subscribe uh, you know how to do it uh, plenty of plenty of places to subscribe including YouTube uh, also if you feel like leaving us a rating and review that would be great um, tell your friends send us an email if you if you think um, you, you really enjoyed something on the show make some noise in the social medias we really um, our community is how we will grow and we love you guys everybody that's listened and, and been there um, new listeners and listeners that have been there from the start so um, but our show today is also was brought to you by True Protein, so make sure you check out trueprotein.com.au. Use the code BRO for 10% off. Also, check out Yeti. Head to yeti.com.au forward slash BRO for all the best coolers and drinkware in the, in the business. And then also check out... Oh, that's funny. Siri has just um, let me know that she or he doesn't really know. Anyway, so sorry about that. And then, yeah, lastly, check out Athena.co. That's Athena with a Y. And you will get 20 hours of free virtual assistant services using the code BRO when you inquire at Athena. See you next week.